Hello, and welcome back to Purple Glow Pod. This is your co-host, Key here. And on today's episode, you'll be listening to our live Q&A with the director and filmmaker behind No Crying at the Dinner Table from our virtual screening of the film. No Crying at the Dinner Table is a short documentary that crafts an emotionally complex and meticulously composed portrait of intergenerational trauma, grief, and secrets. With over 75 festival selections and over 15 awards, No Crying at the Dinner Table is a cathartic film which poignantly explores the pattern of suppression in immigrant families while inspiring change and emotional vulnerability. Enjoy. So my first question is, and I know this is a question that you probably get asked all the time in regards to this film, how did your family react to you wanting to make a film about this theme and kind of delve into into this idea? Mm-hmm. So the idea to the to this film actually came about by accident. And it was along my research for doing a fiction film that I discovered um, their stories. And once I discovered their stories, it really hit me because it took me back to my own trauma and not being able to speak about it, um, not having the tools to speak about it and not being able to share it with my family because of a lot of cultural and language barriers that we have. Um, And, you know, that grief really weighed a lot on me when I was younger and trying to navigate that through myself. And once I heard their stories, I discovered that this wasn't only a thing that I did myself like every single person in my family went through it. And there's this overarching understanding that, or belief that grief has to be explored alone um, in a lot of cultures, I I feel. Um, And sometimes it's not a belief, but it's just the impossibility to do so because of all the barriers of being in an immigrant family or a second gen. So that really hit me and I knew I wanted to make a documentary about that, but also try to aim for change along the way. And so I asked my parents and my sisters if, and my sister, if I could make a film about their story. And we went through a lot of trust building, trust exchanges, story exchanges, pre-interviews before we arrived on the set. And originally, my parents, especially my sister was able to understand like the overall theme and she was really down to talk about it. But my parents didn't see the big deal of their stories. Like, okay, well, everyone in Vietnam has never kissed their mother. You know, this isn't a big deal. And my dad, he he's just like, I don't know, grief is a part of life. So if you want me to tell my story on screen, I'll do it, but I'm no one famous. I, I don't really have an extraordinary story. So I don't really know why. You, you want me to do this? Um, and so we got on set and I think something that a lot of people ask me after they watch my film is like, how did you get your family to do this and to be so open and vulnerable? And my family is a little weird in the sense that um, I've been making films since I was in high school and they've been involved in my films and especially since I've been exploring themes of identity and family since then. So they have already had a relationship with me as a director, already had a relationship with the camera. So it was very easy for them to 
um, agree to this experience and understand the constraints and the rules of, you know, being in front of the camera. Um, they also really believed in me as a storyteller and a filmmaker, which I am so grateful for to have that trust. But, you know, when we arrived on set, everything that they said on screen was said before without cameras, without a mic. Um, so I knew how much I could push and the direction of the story. Um, yeah. Nice. What was the actual filming process like then? Because a lot of the heavy stuff came out um, during the film and I can't even imagine what it must have been like for your family during that process. I believe it took four days to film. Um, just how you all were able to deal with everything that was coming up together. Yeah, this was a student film. So we had some constraints. We had to film within a certain amount of days uh, with student film crew and certain equipment and a certain amount of time to edit and uh, prepare. So it was really, uh, it was really, it was one of the smoothest sets that I have ever been on actually. And I think it's because of the very, um, the trust that everyone had in this story and the vulnerability that even the crew put into this film. Um, I think a part of it is also just how prepared we were as a crew. The first day we filmed all the interviews and um, everyone poured their heart out, even though they had told their stories before. I think when you tell a story about grief and about loss of especially someone in your family, that pain never really goes away. So sometimes people ask me, well, weren't you scared about doing those pre-interviews and then not having those same feelings on screen? And I say, you know, no that pain never goes away. It, what changes is the way that you carry it through your life, right? Um, and so after the first day, that night and the next two days, we focused on filming the B-roll parts with um, my parents and my sister doing the daily activities. And then after set, I, had, um, I was editing their interviews down for that day of the reveal. And each interview was like an hour long. So after filming, I would just like sit in my bedroom and cut these, this three hour long audio footage down to 30 minutes for us to sit together and listen to it at the end. Um, and it was really emotional. We sat there together on the last day listening and we cried. I cried, uh, my crew cried who, didn't speak Vietnamese, as you saw my mom say in the end. Um, so it was a really great experience. Thank you for sharing. I'm also just gonna remind everyone, if you have a question, if you wanna unmute yourself or hop in the chat. Hello. Um, first of all, I think this is the first time I've cried in like less than 15 minutes of watching a film. Thank you. <laughs> um, and thank you for doing this screening. Um, so I wanted to say three quick things and then have a question. Um, there's so much that I could relate to as an immigrant living in the United States, um, especially in terms of 
physical intimacy when I left for graduate school and I went to see my mom and I like tried to give her a hug and she pushed me back. Um, and she wasn't going to see me for a while because I was leaving the state. That was really tough for me. And it took me quite some time to like still understand. I would see my American peers, you know, hugging their parents and hearing, I love you. And, and I never had that. And it was so hard for me to comprehend that. Um, and once I got much older, I started understanding things and also met other um, third culture kids like me and immigrants who it was the same thing. And so that to see that on screen, when um, your mom said, you know, I only kissed my mother once, that was like, I really felt that. Um, and that memory, you know, trying to hug my mom and she was just like, no. <laughs> um, so that, that meant a lot. Um, my grandparents were the first people that I lost um, in my family who to this day, I'm, I just turned 40 and I still grieve. And so uh, there was a line, I think that your sister said, you know, where you just, it doesn't seem like it really stops. Um, so I really related to that as well. And then I speak three languages. And so the first thing that I looked for in your film, like who's going to speak one or more languages? Um, because in my household, I speak English with my dad, um, French with my mom, right? And so, and I speak another language as well. And it's like, you know who you could speak those languages with. So for me, it was interesting to see how that dynamic played out with your family. But my, my, my question for you was, um, I know I've seen films in the past where the director um, or the auteur will shine the camera on family and then they'll shine the camera on themselves or they'll talk about themselves and you didn't do that um to my knowledge um in the film and, and i'm and i'm curious to know why that was i i thought that was actually brilliant to just focus on the family i was just curious to know why you um opted out of also um talking about your your grief and and what have you totally I think that as the key holder to all their stories and being the only one that knew, I, I wanted, I felt like I had the responsibility for them to tell their own stories. And I felt like I was on a different playing field if I had been in the film as well. I wouldn't have had the same experience as all of them hearing these things for the first time and also, um, having that spotlight on me, it would be unfair because I am the director and in some way, some people can see that I'm orchestrating this event to happen in a certain way. Um, so I didn't want that to happen. In private, I did tell my side of the story to my parents and my sister in order to build that trust. Um, but also, you know, I think that being the biggest part and a small part portion of that is just as a filmmaker I just hate seeing myself on screen I think that um, I have a very good eye and I'm very good at telling stories especially when the camera is pointed at someone else but when it's pointed at myself it's you're very critical of yourself and it's true that only certain people were made for the camera. And when I'm in front of the camera, I feel insecure. I feel like I have to um, word my stories a certain way. Um, so yeah, but you said a very interesting point about language and I wanted to make a comment on that. And I think 
a big part of the way that the film turned out the way that it did is because when these stories were told, they were told in the language that they were and not in kind of a diluted language like Vietnamese slash English trying to um, dilute what you really want to say for the other person to understand. And the meaning is lost and the discussion then kind of becomes blurred. And, and then also sometimes there's someone who interjects and um, the cultural understanding of saying another word could completely take a story off the track that it's supposed to be in, which is uh, the experience of a lot of second gens and um, 1.5ers or even immigrants because it's language shapes the way that you frames the way that you see the world. And in some ways, when you speak a certain language, you're a different person. You have to see yourself as a different person. Like in Vietnamese, I have to be able to see that I'm part of a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. I have to speak up to an elder, where in English, it's more like unilateral. Yeah. So I think the way that the film turned out was because we didn't have that exchange. And it was really just a point of listening and understanding words and meanings as they were. <laughs> um, woo, yes to everything that you said and the hierarchy. I totally understand that as well. Um, again, it's just, it's always fascinating for me to meet people from all over the world who either their parents are immigrants or they're immigrants themselves. And there are so many similarities, um, and, and especially with language and hierarchy and all of that. Um, but I am hopefully gonna be a filmmaker in about five years. So it was such just brilliant to see. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for answering my question. Thank you. I think, I mean, it's so clear that the film has so much to say about being a part of an immigrant family. And yet this film has been so widely received and I think so many people can relate to it, whether that is their truth or history or background or not. And why do you think that is, Carol? Um, I think whether you're from an immigrant family or whether you're Asian, the thing that people connect to the most that's universal about the themes is the different displays of love and the fact that grief never dies. Um, there have been a lot of uh, people who aren't people of color, who aren't immigrants, who say, you know, my parents have don't express love the way that I was taught as well, or they don't express love through I love you. Um, and I think that's a universal thing. We all love differently, even though sometimes we're taught to receive and to give love a certain way and, and to grieve, like we're never in life really taught how to grieve because everyone grieves differently and everyone has a different period of grieving. Um, so that period is oftentimes the loneliest and the hardest period of someone's life. So have you noticed changes in your family since you made the film. Mm -hmm. We started saying, I love you to each other, which was very weird at first. 
Um, my sister was the one who initiated it first. And I, I think after the film, we all knew that something big happened, but we didn't really know where to go from that. Um, and we're, we were all trying in our little ways to be better and, you know, be more patient and learn how to communicate and express our feelings better to each other. But uh, my sister was the first one to say, I love you. And um, after every call and text, me and my mom, and my sister say, I love you to each other. And it was very weird. Like I said, at first, like it was hard coming out of my tongue. But then after a while, I got used to it. And I'm like, oh, you know, this, this is how I was taught in, in kindergarten when I, it was Mother's Day to write, I love you on a Valentine's Day card. This is how it feels to receive that love. This is how it feels to give. Um, so that was very warm. My dad said it once afterwards. Uh, this film was filmed November, 2018. So over two years ago. And over those two years, my dad has only slipped it once, but I think it's because um, men are often more hardly conditioned to be strong and not show their feelings. Uh, and you can see that in my dad in the film, even he's very stoic and he often doesn't allow himself that space to, to just be emotional. And, you know, lose it or, or say what you feel in, in, in terms that are maybe not, that don't, you know, save your face. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So anyway, what I wanted to know was, is that how your, how um, the Vietnamese people deal with, is that why they don't say I love you or they don't, is that not part of their culture because, you know, they just, show love other ways? I mean, I, I really want to understand how Vietnamese people show love to one another in the family. I think physical touch and saying I love you is a very Western thing. Um, I, I can relate when I went to Vietnam last year, I was trying to give my auntie who's like 89 years old a hug because I, I don't know when I'll see her next or if ever. Um, it was very odd. I felt like I it was something that I, I was breaking a barrier and she was very stiff. And it made me think about the other ways that we show love. And I think for most, a lot of cultures, food is one of them. Um, when I was younger, my mom would never say I love you, but she would make sure that I was full. She would make sure that I was eating healthy and eating the right foods and would get very offended if I didn't finish that last grain of rice in my bowl um, and would tell me anecdotes like if you don't the ants are going to come and carry you away and you'll never see me again <laughs> and <laughs> and in some ways it, it was very silly but when I look back on it um, you know we we never learned that language of the discourse of that gap between the love that we're taught and the love that we receive. Um, in Vietnamese culture, I think, you know, collectivism is a very prominent idea in, in Asian cultures as well. You know, you do things for the family, you make decisions and it should benefit the family. So 
oftentimes parents will support their children in other ways like financial support or make sure that um, they're on the right track like give them a lot of schooling and English classes and math classes and that might not be what we want but for them they think that it's contributing to a better person a smarter person a better future um, and and yeah I think I think in Vietnamese culture, it's, it's more about collective happiness than about individual happiness. And that's something that we have to grapple with when we're divided between two cultures. Okay, thank you. That makes a lot of, that helps me understand a little bit more. Thank you. Um, I also just want to point out, I think your answer right there also just answered the question that I had asked before of why this film is so wide received, widely received, um, whether you come from an immigrant family or not. I think a lot of families throughout generations have difficulty, um, or not difficulty, but everyone, like you said, expresses love differently. And I think that's something everyone can relate to. Like as soon as you said, the way your family expressed love was through food. That was something that just clicked with me. So it's so interesting to see how we all come from these different households, but are, are kind of going through this same story and the same, the same kind of navigating and trying to learn and understand different languages of love. Um, I'm gonna ask a question again, uh, but again, anyone can join in, but you said this film was made two years ago and yet, we still are here watching this film and it's it's still being played at festivals. Did you expect this film to get as much attention as it has when you first made it? Not at all. I mean, it was a student film. Of course, we made it for the story, but it was also for a grade. <laughs> um, and when we put this out in the world, it was just really surprising how universal it was. You know, when you're making a film in film school, your your group of peers is just like 20 people who watch and review this film. And a lot of my classmates were, were white, were not people of color. So I didn't really know if it was universal. Um, and I think what was really sur surprising and heartwarming for me was having my parents be able to see people's reactions and say, I see my, my family and my mother in your mother's face. Um, and thank you for making this film. Like I relate to it. And my parents, you know, that's when it clicked to them that my story matters. And it, it wasn't just, oh, it's just a small story. No one would care. Um, and I feel like for me, that was a big moment because I could really see them being proud of me. Uh, so yeah, that was a special moment. I also want to comment, because um, I remembered of something, but uh, the reason that the title came up is because also I remember a lot of times when I was younger, crying at the dinner table, not being able to leave because food is, uh, a method of love and stuffing my face with food and trying to eat as fast as I can to leave because my mom would not let me leave that dinner table until all her love was consumed. Um, and, uh, and it was a taboo thing that really 
made me want to recreate that in a way uh, in this film. But that was just a side note. Uh, I think Rebecca, you had a question. Yeah. yeah, I did. Thank you so much for this. It's helped me. I'm, I have a lot of different thoughts. I suddenly realized I think books are a form of love in my family. As you were talking about food, I think that's I think that's something that's happening. I wondered if you could talk about the words for love in Vietnamese. And and part of the reason that I'm asking the question is I'm thinking about the generational shift, at least in my life. My parents do not say, I love you. They sign letters that way, but they don't say it on the phone. My children and my husband and I, we say it all the time to our children. And and no phone, no communication ends without saying that. So in, in my experience, I wonder how much it's generational, not being in an immigrant family, but being in you know, four generations that are alive all at once. But then I started also thinking about Christianity and the prevalence of the word love in that liturgy. And so then I was also wondering, so where, where are the words about love in Vietnamese? And do you, does, how does that sort of connect and resonate for you, if at all? That's a really interesting question because in Vietnamese, we have two words for love. We have the word yêu, which is reserved for a significant other. And then we have the word thương, which is reserved for family. So in that sense, love can only be seen in, in two ways. You can only have familial love or love with a partner. And you can only access you know, one word when you're little and then another word when you're older and you find that person of yours. Um, but even then, we did use the, the familial word for love when I was younger, but it wasn't very brought up very often. Um, and it, it was more symbolic, the ways of loving, like through food. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I never really thought about that, but thank you for bringing it up. Thank you for the film. Carol, two questions. What was, technically four, um, on the emotional side, what was the most frustrating aspect for you of making this film and what was the most rewarding? And then on the technical side, coming from a wannabe filmmaker, what was the most frustrating and rewarding um, experience? Mm -hmm. I would say the most frustrating part was a uh, personal part of making the film was the discussion that you don't see in the film. Um, it started out very, uh, it had a lot of togetherness and at the end we kind of got back in our old ways of trying to shove things under the rug, not being able to fully listen to each other's voices and trying to assert your voice over another, especially with parents uh, who, who have that hierarchical role in Vietnamese culture. Um, and for a moment while filming, I was just like, Why that? but that's not the point. Um, but uh, we're still working on it. It hasn't been resolved. It, this film didn't solve everything. Um, it did make us think more critically when we're talking about other people's feelings and listening to other people's feelings. Um, but it was a very hard moment for making the film because as the filmmaker and as the person not 
physically at the dinner table, I had to play the mediator. And I, I felt like I was conflicted between being the daughter and the filmmaker or the sister as well. I think uh, the most rewarding part of making this film was what came afterwards with our family and the ways that we were able to um, improve our relationships from it, as I talked about. The hardest part of making this film, I think with any documentary is editing. You have so much footage. You're sitting there with six hours of footage and you have to put it down into 15. And how do you do that? Um, so for me, it was really important to be able to narrow what I wanted to say and then cut everything that didn't align with that. So the, the easiest example is when you have a conversation with anyone, it's natural for conversations to derail. So we had moments where, um, you know, my dad described his story in more detail than necessary for an audience to, to hear, where my mom was talking about her high school boyfriend and, um, you know, those things don't need to be in the film. <laughs> so in every film that I do, editing seems to be the hardest part because I have so much footage and there's always a moment where I just sit there and I cry, honestly, and I think this is the worst film I've ever made. I'm a bad filmmaker and everyone's gonna hate me. But if you're feeling that during a process of making a film, it's normal. <laughs> I, at least for me, I think it's normal. Um, but you learn and you grow from it and you become more resilient afterwards. And the next time you feel the, that feeling, you're like, that's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll allow myself to cry. Um, and the most rewarding part was definitely the festivals and being able to screen my film in person um, for the, the first half and meet audience members and, and other filmmakers. Um, I'm very lucky to have been able to do that. I know a lot of films don't have that chance to go through the festival circuit, but for me, whether it's a big festival or a small festival, as long as you're able to show your work on screen, that's the best part of connecting with the people on the other side of the screen because What's a film? Like, is it even a film if you don't have an audience? Mm -hmm. You don't have someone in front of the screen. Right. Uh, which is why I hate when filmmakers make a film and then they always keep their film in private forever because maybe they're ashamed or um, they, they feel like no one will care, but people care. Film and stories are gonna project empathy Thank you. I, I, I'm guilty. I, I made a short in 2017 and it's comfortably nesting on my hard drive. So I'm <laughs> share it. Um, and then when you mentioned the crying, uh, I was like, no crying in the editing room. I just thought of a film now um, based on what you just said. But yeah, people are going to cry in the editing room. So that that was really helpful. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as a filmmaker, it's also really helpful to share films because then you have an online portfolio that people can look at. And sometimes you don't know who's gonna see your work and might contact you and say, hey, um, you did this really cool thing. I wanna collaborate with you. So you got the courage, you can do it. Yeah. yeah. Carol, did you make this film in your native language also or is it just in English? It's in English and Vietnamese. Um, so my parents are speaking Vietnamese. 
and uh, me and my sister, we kind of speak like a mix of English and Vietnamese. And then uh, we tried to make it as accessible as possible. So we have English and Vietnamese subtitles in the CC and also French for people who live in Quebec. Has it been shown in Vietnam? Um, it has, it's, I mean, it's online and people can access it from Vietnam. It has been shown in a small underground place, but uh, art and filmmaking is, uh, at least with independent film is a little hard in Vietnam because there are censorship rules. Um, so there aren't really film festivals or places outside of the mainstream movie theater that you can show your work in Vietnam. If there is, it's probably underground and um, independently organized. Okay, well, I think this is a good place then to wrap this all up. And just to wrap this all up, I want to actually say one of the last few things that you said, Carol, actually really stood out to me. And that was, what's the point of making a film if you don't have an audience? Um, and this concept of making art and needing an audience is something I've been thinking about a lot and have been talking to other artists about, especially during COVID right now, where a lot of artists have kind of gotten back to just making art for themselves. And making this film could have totally been a personal um, process for you, just a therapeutic process, a very cathartic process. But us being here today just proves that the making of this film and the sharing of this film is so important for starting discussions and for making people feel heard and understood and listened to. And there's so much connection that comes through that. So thank you so much for your film. And thank you so much for allowing us to have the space to talk about all of this stuff. Do you have any last words? Thank you for having me, Kiara. And um, I'm so glad to be able to talk to everyone tonight. So thank you for coming. Yeah. Okay, um, Liv, anything I missed? <laughs> no, no final words. If you want to follow us on Instagram or check out our newsletter, you can always do that um, at Purple Glow Meg. Um, thank you again, Carol, for sharing your work. It was beautiful. And I think everybody felt really seen and heard. Yeah, um, and I guess just tagging along with what Liv said. Um, yeah, if you want to follow us, we'll also be posting this the Q&A session as a podcast. So if you want to listen to it again or share it with your family, um, you can. And you can also, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on with Carol's film. And if you want to stay up to date with everything that she's doing, you can follow No Crying at the di Dinner Table, which I'm pretty sure that's just what the handle is called on Instagram. And Carol, if you want to share what your Instagram is as well, you can let yes. her know. This is my name and an underscore. And like Kiara said, um, our film is Oscar qualified, so we're on an Oscars campaign right now. Uh, so if you want to follow our film and follow our journey and that crazy learning, you know, this for the first time, uh, follow the film's Instagram. We're going to have exciting talks. Um, one of the ones that we haven't shared that's a little private right now, but I'm going to share it anyways, is we're going to have a conversation, me and Lulu Wong, one-on-one, -on -one, who is the director of The Farewell. So that's going to be an exciting event that will be live streamed. So uh, 
I don't know, give us, give us a follow. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thank you everyone for taking time out of your Friday evening to join us. And I wish you all the best. Stay safe, have happy holidays and have a lovely weekend. And that is it. If you enjoyed our talk with Carol and want to watch or learn more about her film, No Crying at the Dinner Table, you can visit the links in our description. And make sure you're following us and you've subscribed so you can stay up to date on upcoming events, screenings, and discussions. Until then, stay purple and glowing.